right, welcome to Stupid Not Stupid, the greatest podcast you've never heard of that pits logic, reason, and evidence against unnecessarily argumentative and aggressive opposition for the sake of simply being argumentative and aggressive. <laughs> My name is Matt Renegar, and I'm joined by Jason Callahan. Jason, do you want to say hi to the tens of people that are downloading this episode? Hi, people. <laughs> uh, and just to be totally transparent, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a Bullet and Coke, and at the moment a Sam Adams. Although I'm about to switch over to a Dogfish, uh, Dogfish Head 60 Minute IPA. Uh, that's consequently the exact same thing I'm drinking too, Jason. So congratulations. <laughs> that's not stupid. Uh, let me explain the premise of the show. So Jason has a pile of degrees as an expert in science, history, technology, music, and a whole list of other things, and I'm an expert in disagreeing with Jason. So each episode, we'll pick a topic, sometimes something Jason and I argue about anyway, or something that's been suggested to us, and one of us will explain why it's stupid, and the other one will explain why it's not stupid, and the other person is stupid, whether we believe it or not. So uh, sometimes we might decide to agree and invite somebody else to share their version of facts and thoughts around a particular question, at which point Jason and I will gang up on them, call them liars, and filibuster for roughly an hour or so. Uh, a lot of ways, it'll be like a White House press briefing, I think. And those episodes will be called They're Stupid. They're Stupid. I like that. I like that. All right. All right. Well, let's hit our first topic then, which incidentally is something that you and I maybe argue about more than anything else, Jason, and is particularly fitting given that we are on or about May 4th. I, that's fantastic. I had totally forgotten that that was coming up. Uh, you know, this topic is a, a fitting topic for us to start with because I think it might be the most important topic in the world. <laughs> Possibly. It, well, not really in, in the world, but rather in history from a time long, long ago in a galaxy far, 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 far away. away. <laughs> so just a quick background on uh, our, our fandom of this particular topic. I actually saw the first movie when I was six years old in the theater. So I'm a far bigger fan than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, that's actually interesting because it might have taken the same amount of time from when you were six to when this movie came out for me to actually agree to watch this movie from when it came out to now, because I knew I was going to hate it so much because this movie is stupid, Jason. This movie is not stupid. <laughs> so we're obviously talking about star Wars episode nine, the rise of Skywalker, the second stupidest movie in the star Wars franchise. I, I, I don't even know how you can say that. Well, I think we, we both agreed that the stupidest movie in the star Wars franchise is Phantom Menace. No, Jason, no, <laughs> The stupidest movie in the Star Wars franchise is a movie so stupid that we won't even do an episode on it, and that is The Last Jedi, which we were hoping, we were both hoping, yeah. in uh, in the deep recesses of the empty cavities where our hearts should be, <laughs> that this movie would redeem that movie. Yes. It did not. This movie is stupid, Jason. So there are aspects of this movie that I think do redeem parts of The Last Jedi, but there are also aspects of this movie uh, that make the last uh, about a third of The Last Jedi some of the worst stuff that was ever filmed in the Star Wars canon. <laughs> you and I have talked about what I did with The Last Jedi, which was I went back and rewatched it, and I fast-forwarded through everything that I thought was stupid. Right. And it took me 17 minutes to watch the movie. Right. I refrained from doing that with The Rise of Skywalker. I watched the entire thing. I watched. It took me two sittings because I had to get up and walk away, and I came back the next day and finished it. But I will go – let's go right now. Let's just go through the movie. Let's go chronologically, okay. and I'll take you through everything that I think is stupid. And you can interrupt me. And I will prove you wrong. <laughs> you will... <laughs> On much of it. The first thing, the first thing that's stupid about this movie yes. is the first line, the first sentence, the first words in the scroll. The dead speak. That is the stupidest, <laughs> the stupidest preamble to any Star Wars scroll in the history of Star Wars scrolls. 
Yeah, but if you remember, uh, the, the entire purpose of the scrolls, dating all the way back to George Lucas's first movie, was to make these things seem as though they were episode, episodic uh, installments of a science fiction opera, much like Flash Gordon. Now, if you go back and you watch the old Flash Gordon crawls, this language is completely in line with that. The only thing this movie is episodic of is a 10-day Coke binge that George Lucas went through in the period between episode three and episode four. That is the only <laughs> thing that is episodic about this. All right, so we move out of the dead speak. So let's agree to disagree. The dead speak is not stupid, <laughs> which it is. But who exactly is speaking? And that is our old friend, Emperor Palpatine, who is apparently alive, thus erasing all drama and any sort of meaningful preamble in any previous Star Wars movie since they first came out, totally erased, Palpatine's alive. <laughs> Explain to me how that's not stupid. Because I think that they actually set it up in the prequels that will not be named, uh, <laughs> that one of the abilities of the Sith was this ability to come back from the I'm going to get you on that so hard later. I'm well, going to get you on fine. that we'll so hard there. later. We'll get there. Okay. But I think it was pretty much uh, like in the fall of Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader. That was the key point was that he was trying to save Padme or make trying to defeat death. Right. Like that was the entire point of of that transition. And so to have Palpatine have figured out how to come back from the dead actually, I think, was really interesting. OK. Now, that said, the way they did it was really handy. Do you know what you just did right there? You know, what you did, Jason. What's you that? explained it. <laughs> Do you know who didn't explain it? That's right. J.J. Abrams, That's right. when he made this movie. There's absolutely no ex explanation. Do you know what we get instead of an explanation? The dead speak. That's all we get. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole thing. Figure it out. Three words. So there is actually one line, and it's uh, it's not great, but it was spoken by uh, Dominic. Now I can't remember the actor's last name. He's the guy who was in the Lord, Lord of the Rings, and he's in like- Oh, we're going to get to him. Three don't, scenes. Don't worry. Movie. We'll- We'll get to him. But he has <laughs> one line in there talking about the Sith and like... Oh, we'll get to the line. Okay. Right. Sorry, don't I know, jump ahead, don't I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> right. And it's a stupid line, but go on. It is a stupid line, but it's it at least hints at an explanation. And between that and what you see of the cloning technologies with Snoke on the planet called Exegol, which is the worst planet name in all of Star Wars. I No. <laughs> I, I get, let me get you again. Maybe not on worst planet name, but I'm going to get into the nomenclature that they went with in this movie in yep. a minute, and you're going to think that it's even more stupid. Okay. But continue. Okay. Um, anyhow, uh, I was less... Uh, the first time I saw the movie, I agree with you. It felt very sudden, and I was like, wait a minute, what the hell just happened here? But having watched the movie a couple of times since then... I'm less bothered by it. I agree with you that it could have been done better, but I think that the real problem was that you had one director do the first movie, a different director do the second movie, and then the first director do the third movie, and they didn't discuss plot. Why wasn't the opening scene of this movie on the Death Star? Why wasn't it Palpatine escaping somehow or pa Palpatine transferring consciousness or some sort of bridge? Why didn't this movie open on the on the second Death Star? Well, first of all, I don't think that's like I don't think he escaped death. I think he did die and then came back. And I think that that's what the cloning technology was all about, was that his followers, all those silent people in the back room of the, the, the final scene, uh, basically cloned him a new body, which is a technology that we know exists in this universe. And then he was able to inhabit it. Okay. That that's what happened. So then we, we will presume then that that through that process, that Palpatine has become a master of cloning, that he understands cloning to an extent that 
maybe set aside the Kamoan, I'm sorry, the ca- the Kaminoans. Kaminoans, set aside the Kaminoans, uh, and l- let's say that he's figured this out to a level that is a game changer in the universe. But I don't think he has, because look at his fingers. Like, the, the guy's still clearly corroding, and you look at Snoke. That was clearly not So this a, is this is where I'm going with clone. this. As you pan, so let's put ourselves in that scene now. So sure. you pan to the first scene where you see where you see Palpatine, and if you look very quickly, you see a shot of a bunch of vats. And what do you see in the vats? It's Snoke. More Snokes right. being cloned. So this is why this is so stupid. <laughs> why does he need to go through all of this trouble? And we'll get to the scavenger hunt with the Sith Wayfinders later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But why does he need to go through all this trouble to lure these last Force users to him so he can try to turn or corrupt or inhabit them? When he presumably made the strongest force user currently alive, quote unquote, I'm making air quotes here, in the universe, in a vat, why didn't he just make a force user and inhabit it? Or why didn't he just make 10 more Snokes and send them out to destroy everything? Well, because I think this, again, goes back to that quote uh, by Dominic, what's his name, from Lord of the Rings. Let's just call him Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Adox says in Star Wars uh, that... The Sith thing is this combination of technology and the the dark side of the Force. So it, it's both components. He can't. He's not like cloning these these guys. Like he's not cloning Snoke like uh, uh, clone troopers. He's cloning this entity that is then inhabited by some dark weird thing that's slowly corroding its body the same way that he is corroding his own body. So it's so not, because magic is what you're saying. That's stupid. Because but, magic. I, I agree with you. I'm not a big fan of magic or MacGuffins in movies, but that said, at least I see a consistency here where I think you do not. Okay. All right. So I think we've established that that's all stupid. So <laughs> let's let's get to the next part of this. And what has Palpatine been up to this whole time? So what he's done is essentially unionized Exegol. Before we get there, because there is actually a scene that I want to address. Okay. All right. Which is all right. before you get to Exegol, before you see the Emperor, there is the scene where Kylo Ren ends up on this planet and gets the first piece of the the scavenger hunt that you Yeah, that was really stupid. I remember that. Right. So having read a bunch of other material, uh, that planet is supposed to be Mustafar, which is where Darth Vader become, you know... uh, And presumably had his his castle, his fortress. That's exactly right, which we see in Rogue One. Uh, That didn't look at all recognizable as Mustafar to me. There was no indication that that was Mustafar. Well, this is like, I don't, I don't want to skip ahead. backstory about the guys that he was killing were this this cult of Darth Vader, and it was fascinating, and you get none of that in the movie. That's the same, <laughs> I, I'm assuming the moon we go to, I mean, there's at least four moons of Yavin, I guess, so the other piece of the Death Star could have fallen on another one, I don't know, but right. presumably we're on Yavin 4 when we go to the Death Star later. I thought it was the jungle planet, Yavin 4, yeah. and there's this huge ocean now now i will tell you i was really happy there weren't ewoks but <laughs> <laughs> there were ewoks in this movie there were yes. but not on not on that planet. no well I, who knows was that you have before they don't they don't tell us actually uh, some nerd's gonna comment on this now and tell me the name of this planet probably yep. uh so my uh my daughter and i watched this the other night and she's 14 and that that was her exact comment she was like wait, I thought this was the planet with the Ewoks. And I was like, well, there were other moons, yeah. but I don't know if that was the planet. There's, yeah. I don't know. Let's just, this is like, I just keep going back to that George Lucas quote where he said, it's all flowing. It's all about synergy here. You see the energy. It's like poetry and motion. This is why he named it Yavin 4, because he knew one day we'd be asking this question and it would give them an out by saying, <laughs> well, there's at least three other moons of Yavin. Right, right, so right. we're all, this is all part of George Lucas's plan, right? Sure. Okay. 
look, so we're still in the opening like three minutes of this movie. We are in the opening three minutes. And this is the number one thing that first jumped out to me when I see all of this. So Palpatine is in hiding somehow. He has this cloning operation. He's building this massive fleet of ships that is presumably staffed by hundreds of thousands. Uh, It would have to be. Close to a million? I mean, mean, how many people? We see how many uh, Star Destroyers. You can't even count it. Yeah, it's like... The, the workforce alone yeah. required to build and that he probably he apparently has pretty strict admission standards because when you we go to the rebel alliance it's like species after species after species every cantina that you walk into in the star wars universe unra- unveils a new species that we've never seen before for half a second on screen right basically only humans but yeah. only humans yes only humans yeah, you don't see a single other species. where did they come from how did he get them now your explanation is probably going to be we have multiple references across this movie about kidnapping and all this stuff and so they all have Sith Wayfinders. They all know how to get to x Is there a breeding program? Are they clones? They don't look the same? Hit me with it. So to start with, uh, so for the, the, the listeners out there, Matt and I are recording this from just outside of Washington, D.C. We both work in, in the city uh, quite frequently, dealing with lots of political topics and whatnot. And one of the funniest things to me is this idea of conspiracy theories in Washington, D.C. that somehow, like, hundreds of thousands of civil servants are able to keep a secret <laughs> from the rest of the public. When you and I both know, in fact, yep. three people can't keep a secret in a single room for more than 10 minutes. Right? <laughs> so the idea that this entire operation exists mm-hmm. on this planet mm-hmm. with h- hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people working on it, and no information got out anywhere else in the universe mm-hmm. about... like. The, the, the resources, the, the, the money alone required mm-hmm. to buy all of the resources to build all of those things would have had enough of an impact on the economy of right. the universe. Somewhere <laughs> out there, someone actually did this. They did the math on the impact to the to the universal GDP that the destruction of the Death Star would have had and yeah. then like calculated the recession it would have caused across yeah. the Star Wars universe. This is even bigger. Yes, it yeah. is. It is. I think it would be more expensive to build that many Star Destroyers than it would So you, you agree now that the movie's stupid based on that alone? Well, I agree that there was absolutely no explanation given to how Palpatine was able to marshal these forces. And that was a huge plot hole that you could drive multiple Star Destroyers. <laughs> a stupid plot hole. A stupid <laughs> plot hole. All right. So let's set Palpatine aside. Let's set the opening scene aside. Let's set all that aside. Then we move to where the last remaining rebels, apparently, or what we are led to believe is the last remaining rebels at the end of The Last Jedi, meet up with another starship in the middle of an asteroid field. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, um, to get some download some sort of intelligence that sets us off on the continuing sequence of action scenes with no plot development for the next three hours. <laughs> and at the end of that exchange, TIE fighters come out of nowhere uh, without a base as Obi-Wan taught us that TIE fighters wouldn't be out that far without a ship to return to, to refill. And then maybe there's been some technological advances since then, but there have, and you see that in the, in the next scene. Oh, Go ahead. Gosh. Okay. So that's what I want to get to <laughs> that. You've seen this in the next scene. So all of a sudden this chase scene ensues where the number one pilot in the galaxy and Han Solo replacement Poe Dameron. So the best pilot in the rebel Alliance yeah. takes the millennium Falcon to the limits of its abilities, pushing it past the point that, to, that no one on the ship that was possible to do a maneuver we've never heard of called light speed skipping. Right. So he's a one in a million pilot with a one in a million ship who does something that even the people who are most familiar with the Millennium Falcon don't think the Falcon is capable of. 
and somehow all four pilots and all four less capable ships behind him are able to perform the same maneuver across multiple lightspeed skips. Well, how is that not stupid, Jason? Well, first of all, the four pilots behind him who attempt this all also die. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> yes. But they all make it at least one iteration of the lightspeed skip. that's actually not what concerned me the most about that. What concerned me the most was until The Last Jedi, the idea of going to lightspeed was getting away. Like, as soon as you went to lightspeed, nobody could track you. Nobody knew where you were going. Like, they knew in a straight line where you were uh, going. Until Last Jedi. Until Last <laughs> Jedi. And it was never really explained. And then you could also run out of fuel, apparently. Right. Yeah. That's a whole other issue. Um, again, doesn't necessarily bother me. We had never heard of it before, but it doesn't mean that it was, you know, that those rules didn't exist in the prior films. So that bothers me less. Uh, what does bother me is the reaction time of these TIE fighter pilots, because if they're jumping into light speed at the exact same time as the Millennium Falcon, and they can see it in hyperspace, well... If the, the Falcon jumps, you know, comes out of hyperspace, either they run into the back of it or they're instantaneously realizing that they need to jump out of hyperspace as well, or they're overshooting so it. So they're all four Jedi then. They, right, they have right, lightning right, fast right. reflexes, yeah. Um, as far as the light speed skipping, I thought that they actually, at least from Poe's standpoint, did make the point, like he even acknowledged on the last jump, he was like, "Here's here goes our fourth jump and maybe our last one because he's like, he recognizes that what he's doing is incredibly reckless. Like the the point that Han Solo made in the very first movie was, you know, you could the, what was the the uh, the great quote from the the uh, uh, the blooper that he had? You could you could uh, bounce too close to a store or fly right through a super, supermarket. Supermarket, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was the idea: is that you can light speed skip. It's just taking a huge risk because you could fly right through. Okay, but let me – listen, I I might be willing to forgive this one a little bit because we'll give Hollywood some license. But the other piece of this that was so ridiculous to me and so stupid is – look, I mentioned at the top of this, Jason's an expert in everything. (laughs) And one of the things Jason is an expert in is outer space. What is outer space mostly made of, Jason? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) And in all four instances that we light speed skip, we land in a scene or scenario that is filled with action and living creatures and all kinds of things flying through the air and monsters trying to eat the ship. Come on, man. No, uh, the the chances if you are randomly jumping in a straight line through space of coming into four really interesting planetary environments... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the chances of that are infinitesimally small. Yeah. <laughs> As we said at the start of this, there are tens of people listening. One of them is named Newton Campbell. Newton, <laughs> I want you to go ahead and use the Drake equation and apply it to the situation and just map this out for us. Do the math and come back to us on what the likelihood of this is because it's <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Is what, yeah. But if they just kept jumping and ending up in, a, in empty space, that would make for a really boring plot. And really not <laughs> stupid. Really realistic. <laughs> And so this brings us chronologically to the quote that you've already mentioned, which I had to stop the movie and take a breath when I watched it because it is the laziest writing because you're essentially just using a hobbit to bridge the gaps in your lazy story writing with meaningless filler to just excuse away the fact that you just brought Palpatine back. And this is the quote. And maybe we should even play it. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. So this ground control hobbit, who is just a random foot soldier in the Rebel Alliance, understands the intricacies of Sith history and immediately connects all the dots and knows what Palpatine did. Well, he did help bring down Sauron. So he, <laughs> he has a little experience at this. At the start, at the start of this trilogy, at the start of this trilogy, people thought that the Jedi were a myth 
and this mechanic. Dark science? Cloning? Dark science? <laughs> Secrets the only the Sith knew? I mean, come on, man. Go back to Hobbiton. Well, who knows? Maybe he had a history degree. I did like. Oh my gosh. All right. All right. I'm. Um, again, I. And why did they have to use Mary? Like, yeah. do something else. Well, <laughs> make me hate it less. <laughs> my understanding is he really lobbied to get a role in this film. So good on him for actually getting into it. He gets like four or five film. scenes. Yeah. Um, all of that said, uh, this I think this is one of the fundamental disagreements you and I have had with Star Wars for a long time. It's, I'm there to enjoy it. Like, I'm willing to open my mind. I'm willing to suspend disbelief if it's moving the plot forward in a logical enough sense, I don't need all of the details. I don't care how he has that information. The information moves the plot forward. I'm good with it. But this is an opportunity, though. And I understand that it's not as much of an opportunity because this was the last movie. We'll see. But this is supposed to be the last movie. <laughs> right, right. But this is what was so great about Rogue One, is that instead of creating more plot holes, Rogue One went back and filled plot holes with realistic explanations. Never have more plot holes been created than in The Last Jedi. So this movie had the potential to be the greatest plot hole filler, even greater than Rogue One, which I only have one scene that I don't like in Rogue One. Rogue One is awesome. It's a great film. It's awesome. And all this did was create more plot holes. You're supposed to wrap it up in the final movie. But again, Rogue One was wrapping up basically one film. And this was wrapping up Eight other films done by... Well, don't leave so many plot holes and you won't have so much to wrap up. <laughs> but again, like the, there were so many plot holes created by so many other movies. And in my humble opinion, I think that J.J. Abrams was handed kind of a steaming pile of crap by Ryan Johnson. Like Abrams had clearly set up a trajectory in The Force Awakens. Ryan Johnson, rather than trying to continue that, decided he wanted to do basically an anti-Star Wars film. He wanted to break all the rules, change all the, the models, wanted to do something completely unexpected with the he, film. He wanted to drain the cosmic swamp. Right. And <laughs> left whoever was doing the third movie with a nearly impossible task. You got you to square that circle. I actually think Abrams did a relatively good job. You're right. There are plot holes you can, you can fly Death Stars through. But... I found it emotionally satisfying and entertaining. Before we keep going, I'm just going to give you a one-off here. So stupid or not stupid. Gotcha. Having seen the movie now. Yes. Knights of Ren. So. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) I'm of two minds of this. The the big mistake for me, again, was that I had read a bunch of material about the making of these movies. Mm -hmm. And I know that J.J. Abrams originally had plotted out this idea in The Last Jedi that Luke Skywalker would get in this epic fight with the Knights of Ren, who were his former students, and we would see Luke Skywalker as the badass Jedi that we have never gotten a chance to see him be. And the fact that we never got that moment kills me. That is second in disappointment only to the lack of a Darth Jar Jar reveal. <laughs> That's all. Fair I think we should, we should do a Darth Jar Jar episode like yeah. next year on May the 4th or something, or maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to another Star Wars episode, but I agree, and that's why it's stupid. But the other thing is, if you look at the Knights of Ren and you compare them to other badass characters that had basically no plot meaning at all, but look at Boba Fett in the original trilogy. If you erased him from the movies, he doesn't really provide that much. But Boba Fett's fandom, the place that Boba Fett holds in Star Wars lore, was not manufactured like the Codebreaker or with Phasma or Boba Fett 
grew organically just because he was cool and had a cool costume and people liked him. It wasn't, it wasn't written in. He wasn't given lines. That's what was cool about Boba Fett is it just happened. Sure. Well, I, again, I think that J.J. Abrams had set them up to be something far more interesting. And like, do you remember Ray's uh, uh, or Force? Yeah, when she touches the lightsaber for the first time. Exactly. Yes. You see that scene with the Knights of Ren all standing in the rain. We never get that scene. There was never any payoff from that scene. Somewhere that's been filmed. That's in a vault somewhere at Disney. Right. right. It would have been an excellent, you know, yeah. extra scene in the right, on the right next to Walt something. Disney's severed, cryogenically <laughs> suspended head. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I think that the Knights of Ren were a missed opportunity, and more than that, I think that the director could have done, or the screenwriters, whoever, could have done a much better job of of tying together the fact that these were also ex Skywalker students. Like these were the other students that, that Luke was training at his Jedi Academy, whatever the hell it was. That that I think was a really interesting link that was never explored. And for some reason, Rem won't let them have lightsabers. Right. They have all these weird like uh, energy weapons. I don't get that. I, well, you know, they never finished the training because <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they never got to lightsaber class. I, <laughs> maybe that was year four or something. I don't know. Um, I think it was a. I think the the Knights of Ren was a really, really interesting concept. That because the way that the movies played out from a a production standpoint was never explored, and I find that disappointing. So, kind of stupid. Okay, there are three words that I would argue if we did a word cloud for this movie appear the most. Okay, the the first would be force. That's okay. Sure. The next would be hope. Cool with that overarching theme between all the movies. Hope. Yep. Got it. Yep. The third is the word forbidden. Let me tell you why I hate <laughs> the word forbidden. Sure. This is lazy writing at its laziest and stupidest. So I'm going to just list all the forbidden things in this movie. Okay. So there is the forbidden dagger. There is C-3PO's forbidden memory bank. Right. And then there is the forbidden desert where apparently like alien Coachella happens. <laughs> so what? why? It's more of a burning man. <laughs> <laughs> It forbid why I don't like you can't come up with anything else. I mean, you got Exegol, so can't you just like type consonants with a vowel into your Microsoft <laughs> Word and come up with a name for something? Why is everything the forbidden this and the forbidden that? This is the stupidest thing about this movie. Wow, you think that's the stupidest? It's, thing. The, it's the, okay. I'm sorry. It is the stupidest while being simultaneously laziest thing about this movie. I'll actually get. I I know what I think the stupidest thing about this movie is. I was gonna say the stupidest. Wait till we get to the end. For me, was not like. None of that bothered me. I, you know, of course, the not great, not great writing where I thought you were going, and I'm probably jumping ahead. You've probably already got this in your notes somewhere. Uh, uh, the one that really got me was the explanation of why they didn't do another holdo maneuver. But we'll get to that. <laughs> it's on the list, Jason. It's on the list, and you already know how I feel about that maneuver. Yeah, but we're going to talk about it, yeah. and you're going to have to explain to me why it's not. Stupid. No, that's fine. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Um, all right. As far as the the, the term forbidden. I will grant you that it was overused and that is lazy writing. Again, it didn't bother me because it wasn't integral to the plot. Okay. Well, we're on. So, so we're now on the, the hippie planet of the Forbidden Desert. Yes. Uh, which presumably is not all desert because now we know that planets that are entirely jungle planets also have large oceans. So there's probably like 
I don't know, a polar ice cap somewhere around this desert planet. <laughs> right. Yeah. But they've all chosen to live, live, in, the live in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> instead of the temperate region, e- yeah. equal distance between the desert and the polar ice cap, they all go to the forbidden desert for Coachella every, yeah. what is it, 30 years or something? I can't well, we don't remember. know the politics. Maybe there's a dictator who owns all the, <laughs> all the good territory. Who knows? Okay. So here is where we meet Lando, which is cool. I get it. That's cool. They it bring was great to see Lando. Yeah. It's cool to see Lando. And now I'm going to. I'm going to violate the code and ethics that I applied to myself before this started. And I said that I was not going to make my stance about this movie being stupid about other movies, but just work with me here. Okay. Why wasn't Lando the code breaker? Why, why do we have to wait till now to see Lando? You've been barking up that tree since since day one of uh, uh, the last Jedi. And I actually agree with you. I think that that would have been a much better way to bring him into the new Pantheon Mm -hmm. or the, the new, the new movies rather. Um, I can only assume that either there was some contractual issue or that he was unavailable at the time, although I don't know what Billy D. Williams would have been doing that would have would have you know been more important than doing a new Star Wars movie. <laughs> but uh, the the only other option I can come up with is that Ryan Johnson just wanted to focus on the new characters, which was a bad idea. <laughs> I, I will say the one thing that wasn't stupid that I loved, and maybe this is just because I, I personally identify with this, but uh, I just love how when they're leaving Lando's cruiser, basically the last thing he asks of them is say, sup girl, Leia. <laughs> <laughs> totally in keeping with Lando's yep, character. That was cool. I'll admit that part was cool. That and was I will cool. admit that my favorite alien in that whole movie was the, 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 the weird guy with the three or the six blue eyes and the, the weird lip. Who was driving that? <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Like, You've got to take us to the Forbidden Desert, and the guy like opens a little sliding door, and he goes, "Okay." And that, that's like his only line. Is it right past the mountains of doom? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, anyways, so then we go into this crazy chase scene, which I actually didn't have any problems with it. I thought about complaining about the jump troopers and all the other stuff, but it's an adaptation mm-hmm. of tactics. That was all fine. Yeah. I'll deal with it. They sink through the quicksand, which you knew they weren't going to die. Right. Stupid, but you know, par for the course. That's all right. But then we go into this scene where they conveniently, the, the quicksand transfers to a subterranean tunnel that somehow suspends and holds up the quicksand where they can fall through it, but the quicksand doesn't fall. My 14 year old actually asked about that as well. She's well, like, well, how did that work? Yeah. <laughs> this is why Francis is the future and I feel secure about the world after I'm gone. But we'll just set all of that aside. And then we get into this moment where she does a little Ezra Bridger and force... I don't know, mind melds with this snake creature that's living in the crypt and she ends up healing it and then says this line to BB-8. I just transferred a bit of life, force energy from me to him. You would have done the same. Talking to a droid. First of all, droid doesn't have life force. And second of all, can we just talk about how stupid it is that all of a sudden we've opened this door to all these questions of possibilities, which I'll get to later about, oh, you can just transfer life force now. No big deal. Yeah, I knew that this was coming up. Uh, so uh, I find it interesting first that you skipped right over Finn's line, Ray, I've got something to tell you as they're sinking in the sand, and then it's never revealed what he says. Okay, <laughs> that just goes to show you, Jason, the, just the the sheer volume of stupidness that I'm dealing with while I'm watching this film, because that actually registered, I think, in the like the the back of my my reptile <laughs> mind i i was like what the hell are you talking about and then you get nothing right and then when they're about to be executed later pose asking him what were you gonna say oh it comes up like three times in the movie and then nothing yeah okay 
Um, Thanks for proving my point. No, this no. movie's stupid. So it turns out that all of that was a setup for at the very end of the movie when I know what it was a setup for, right, but for when he actually like uh, Finn is revealed to be force sensitive. Yeah. But again, they didn't do a good job of explaining that. And like, I think that's my beef with this movie is there's a lot of really cool stuff going on that they don't do a great job of explaining. Now, to your point with the, I just gave him a little bit of force life or whatever the hell. And you would have done the same thing to an inanimate object. So so first of all, uh, again, Francis and I were talking about this when I was rewatching the movie. Um, I think like the purpose of that entire scene was to demonstrate a new force power that would become relevant later in the, in the plot. And it's the idea that this, this particular force user can heal people. Now the comment to the droid makes zero sense at all. Like we have been uh, uh, shown time and time again, that Ray's character is really good at technology. Like she gets it on a fundamental level, but nowhere in that does she ever exhibit any sense that she thinks that technology is like alive. It's all about fixing the thing, straightening the antenna, fixing the the hyperdrive, fixing that. Like it's all about her being able to like having a natural ability to just figure the thing out and fix it. And she kind of likes BB. Like she, she tries to shoo BB eight away when she first meets him. Then she's like, all right, come on. But she never treats him as though he's a living creature. He's a utility. He's a tool. She likes him enough that she won't sell him for a bunch of food on <laughs> Jakku, but there's no indication that she thinks of him as a living being. You're absolutely right. So that line makes very little sense. And there was the other line early in the movie. We'll get to the whole Carrie Fisher and well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Jason. That stuff was, but the line about uh, you know one one day uh, Ray says to to Princess Leia, one day I hope to earn your brother's lightsaber and. BB-8 sounds off, and she says, no, droid uh, droid can't help me. And Carrie Fisher says, never underestimate a droid, because apparently that was a line that they had <laughs> lying around. And that just takes me back to this point, Jason. This is why the movie is stupid. J.J. Abrams was paid so much money to think of the stuff that you and I are talking about right now that just occurred to us over Bourbon and Sam Adams. I, no, I get that. But How did he, he not was, reflect on this? He also had like three and a half years to do the first movie. And this movie was actually supposed to have been done by the guy, the uh, the director who did the last two Jurassic Park fiascos. So I'm actually really glad that that guy quit or got fired, and they brought J.J. Abrams back. But when they did, he had less than half the time to do this film. Do you know who I blame for all of this? The Marvel Universe. And I know that's gonna, this is going to piss people <laughs> off because I know that there are going to be people that listen to this who already know what I'm about to admit. But the only Marvel movie I've ever watched is the last one. I know. Yeah. But there is this expectation. There is this standard now. There is this cookie cutter sort of assembly line format of these Marvel movies. And that's what this movie felt like to me, that it was just rolled out for action sequences and CGI demonstration. And for, you know, 12 year olds whose moms and dads were dropping them off at the movie theater. See, having actually seen all of the Marvel films, because I grew up with the comic books, I actually disagree with that because I feel that the Marvel continuity is much better than the past three Star Wars films have been. Okay, well, with that in mind, <laughs> I'm going to go back and watch every all 307 Marvel movies now. And yeah. Well, it's not like I watched them all in a night, dude. I actually went and saw them in the theater <laughs> as they came out. All of that said, uh, going back to our original point about uh, uh, being in the caves that shouldn't exist under a quicksand forest or a quick, quicksand uh pit uh and then finding this giant snake 
uh, that she randomly heals. Um, and then the snake moves away and they find a way out. Like th- there were a bunch of MacGuffins there that were very, very ham-handed. Uh, as far as her having the new force power, I have zero problem with that. Every single Star Wars movie throughout the entire line, all nine movies, every movie has introduced new force powers. Every single one. So that was completely consistent. And more than that, it's been established that the fewer there are on the Sith side and the fewer there are on the Jedi side, the more powerful those those people become. It's almost a little Highlander-ish, right? Like, there can be only one. But... Hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I would love to do a podcast. I love that film. Anyways, um, so there have been a lot of people who are like, you know, throughout this new trilogy, you know, oh, Ray, suddenly she has no training in the Force, and suddenly she has all these incredible Force powers. Well, that's why. There are no other Jedi. Like, all of the power is concentrated in her, and all of the power is concentrated in Snoke and Ren. And she's initially more powerful than Ren because Snoke is around. By that logic, in Knights of the Old Republic, in the Old Republic universe, then all of the Jedi should have no power because there are thousands of Jedi and thousands of Sith. Yeah, A, that's not canon, and B. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that Disney made that canon. I thought that I, th- I think oh, there's going to be I a. Actually don't know. I think there's going to be a Kodor movie. I think that's where they're going with for the next trilogy is back. So this is actually another argument that my daughter and I get into all the time because she is steeped in all of the. The, uh, the the cartoons, the, the comic books, the books. Like I said, that's why I feel secure about the future. Right, right. Yeah. And for me, like, we get into trivia battles all the time. And for me, I'm like, hey, honey, if it's not in the movies, I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't entirely true. I've now watched all of the animated stuff, and it's actually really good. But it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So this this next one, we're just moving chronologically. We're two-thirds of the way through the movie. This is just more lazy writing, I guess. But we, we get to this point where we're at Yavin 1, 2, 3, or 4. Nobody knows. So <laughs> Yavin take, X. T- take your pick. You're, we're at Yavin X, where the most iconic and recognizable portion of the Death Star has fallen, even though we get that awesome animation where it basically turns to dust in both movies when it explodes. But right. this piece of it has fallen. Um, and these folks walk rock up on tusked horses, yeah. and we get the line of, uh, we got a message from Boba Frick, who said you're the last hope. We're here to help. So these people who don't know who Boba Frick, Frick is, who Bobo are Frick. Babo Frick, who are ex-stormtroopers, <laughs> get like a random text like, you, you, you heard about Ray? She's coming. She's the last hope. Ride your tusked horses out there and help her out. Like, come on. You bypassed actually one of my favorite parts of the movie, which was the introduction of uh, Zori Bliss, who is Poe Dameron's possible love interest. uh, uh, Anyways. And you only ever see her from the nose up. Yeah, which I actually thought was (laughs) really effective. The the, the two coolest things in the movie for for me so far at this point are that fact that she's sort of a mysterious character, more akin to Boba Fett than anyone else that we've seen, so that's cool. And the line, my favorite line of, this door's locked. Move on to the next one. Just <laughs> uttered silently in the background as they search that city. Such a great that was line. actually cool. Yeah, I like that. Fantastic. But anyway. Uh, no, I thought the, the character of Zori Bliss, uh, we're just talking about this the other night, I would have loved to have seen more of her. I thought she was one of the most interesting characters in all three of the new mo- new movies. But I understand, like, I think less is more with this particular character. I think if you had gotten into all her motivations and had turned her into more of a hero, you actually lose a lot of that. Picture. She's going to show up as an animated character in like the last season of Clone Wars yeah, or something. I kind we'll of that that's true. Yeah. Um, I thought that she was in a long line of Star Wars uh, 
women characters was strong, uh, powerful, empathetic. Like I, I just, I really liked her. I thought she was, she was a really shining point of this movie and her interactions with Poe. Uh, yeah, but let's focus on the fact of what's her profession again. Spice runner. Spice runner. Which means she's a drug. Dealer. Which and spice runner. Spice is converted into want to buy some death sticks, <laughs> <laughs> amongst other. Yeah. Things. I mean, I mean, you know. Just, once it gets off of Arrakis, they got to fell it somewhere. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, but I'm sorry. To go back and answer your question, yeah. the, the I cannot envision how the connection would happen, but the idea that this, the ex-stormtroopers who are on... And immediately the trust X, them. Uh, they may have had some kind of pre-existing relationship or some kind of uh, communications network with the spice smugglers. I don't know. Again, this is stuff that... I don't get too upset about because you you want a very clear plot line and I'm willing to wash over things. Well, you're you know, just there are plausible ways to get from from A to B. You're a simple creature, Jason. You're not as mentally sophisticated as I am. Not when I'm watching a fantasy movie where spaceships make noise in space. <laughs> okay, so they, <laughs> then we go through Ray uh, from a desert planet. Yes. Obviously uh, is innately an expert nautical sailor. And just manhandles that ship straight across yeah. the choppy seas. No yeah. problems. No problems. That's not stupid at all. Oh, it was amazing nautical sea. <laughs> she probably was riding sand dunes back on <laughs> uh, back on her well, home planet. I have to admit, like going over those waves actually made me a little nauseous because I don't like water and oceans, anyways. But the idea of having a jet on the back of your boat that makes it a little yeah. easier. I mean, come on, <laughs> it's it's the Star Wars universe. She's doing a crank, right? <laughs> come on, man. Come on. All right, so she gets to the uh, surprisingly intact wreckage of the Death Star on this thing that is the size of a moon, crash conveniently into the ocean near the coast, contains the Emperor's throne room, where apparently he had a storage area, where there is a wayfinder that goes to a secret location, which is his one weakness, that he never thought to send anybody to retrieve. And there were only two of them. And there were only two of them. Yeah, Darth Vader had one and he had the other. Okay, so stupid or not stupid? Uh, it's it's a giant MacGuffin. MacGuffin. Uh, you first of all, I don't know what the hell that word means, and okay. you keep hiding behind it. Okay, it's no, not. No, it's, it, it doesn't. Excuse, it's stupid or not stupid, Jason. That's the name of the podcast. So, <laughs> the the term MacGuffin dates back, as far as I know, dates back to. Uh, By the way, there's be, someone with the last name MacGuffin who's about to be very offended by what you're about to say. <laughs> So, uh, to my knowledge, the first time I heard it was in reference to the movie The Maltese Falcon. The term MacGuffin means a thing in a movie that is just, it's a nonsensical part of the plot that moves the plot forward. So, in The Maltese Falcon, the Falcon itself was the MacGuffin. It didn't really matter what the thing was, but everybody was chasing it. So, you knew that it was important. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, like, the Ark is the MacGuffin. Like, everybody's chasing the Ark. Who gives a shit what it is? It's the point of the chase of the object. So in this case, the Wayfinders are the MacGuffin. Which ends up not mattering because Ren crushes it. Right. Well, yeah. It was interesting to see how they got around that. And because I thought that that actually, that was sort of the catalyst to Ray and Ren's fight that results in him actually changing sides and her stealing his, his ride. And being able to figure out how to get to Exegol anyways. Um, now, she set his TIE fighter on fire, and it didn't destroy the Sith Wayfinder, which he could destroy, like, just by crushing it in his hand. So that's... And he already knew how to get to Exegol, so why did he still have it? 
If the whole point was to keep it a secret. You, you saw when she was flying to Exegol, it's not like there were three turns. It was clearly a very complex method to get there. So that, again, that didn't bother me. Okay. All right. Well, so let's move past that, which I think I'll come back to that. I will get, before we move further, yeah. there is a part that bothered me. And that was the Sith dagger. That again, mean, no, 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 no. The forbidden dagger. Sorry, Jason. The, forbid, the, forbidden the forbidden dagger. dagger. <laughs> um, that one really kind of tweaked me. Uh, because it was such an obvious MacGuffin. Do you just have a thing against protractors, or what was your yeah. problem with it? <laughs> no. My issue with it was she picked it up, and she sensed that all this horrible stuff had, had been done with it, and then 10 minutes later, we see that this is the dagger that Homeslice killed her parents yep. with. And she's like, eh, yeah, it's fine. And like, It's more important that we figure out how to get to Exegol than I freak out about the fact that the parents that for the past two and a half movies have been my major like motivating factor were killed by this thing. It was like, oh, that's fine. Okay. This is why they should have gone the direction that I've advocated from the beginning. And Ray should have been a clone from Luke's severed hand from Clown City <laughs> that, that Palpatine commissioned and grew and created to specifically be his apprentice and the heir to the Sith throne. That would have been cool. Dude, you, that's an amazing plot line. You should go make that movie. All right. Well, if, <laughs> you guys, if anyone out there, if, uh, if is, Walt Disney's severed head is listening in the crypt down there next to their memorabilia that we already talked about, I will do it for 10% of what J.J. Abrams made for the last movie. But again, this is part of the reason that I think that you are so critical of these films is you want to see the movie that they didn't make. And I'm happy to watch the movie that they did make. Like I said, <laughs> you're a simple creature. Some people call you stupid. I call you simple. It's all good, Jason. So then we get to this duel, which is cool. Not in my top seven or eight Star Wars lightsaber duels, but... Really? I it was in the top five. Uh, well, like I said, simple creature. Probably towards like towards the bottom of the top five. We're going to have to do one where we rank the lightsaber duels there. Yeah. Because, uh, it, I mean, it was okay. I didn't hate it. Yeah. But we, we both know what number one is. What do you think number one is? Obi-Wan versus Vader in the first movie on the remake. On the remake. <laughs> I actually would disagree with that. Now we're going to go down a rabbit hole here. I actually believe that the greatest Star Wars lightsaber duel is in Rebels, and it's the three-second duel between Obi-Wan and Maul that's over in an wow. instant. I think it's brilliant. It is good, but maybe I'm just old school. But I, the only redeeming factor of Phantom Menace, I think, was that the, the lightsaber fight. Yeah, that that's in my top six, maybe probably. I think Ray Park knocked it out of the park on that. Yeah, one. top top six, Bones. and then you got to go with for me one of I, I would say the best scene in Star Wars, probably tied with the hallway scene in Rogue One, is Ahsoka versus Vader in season two finale of Rogue. That's pretty. That one's that's good. Pretty bad. That one's good. That one's good. But, but it's not the movies. But it's not the movies. It's not the movies. <laughs> so you don't know about it. It's all good. But that takes us to so Ray with Leia's help. Just jumbles up Ren's intestines with her lightsaber. Seems to be the end of that whole arc. We're good to go. And then she transfers some life force. Yeah, yeah. But I want to dissect that scene a little bit because I thought it was really clever. All right, go for it. Go for it. And I'll tell you why it's stupid. So they're having the fight. Ray is clearly like losing losing it. She's starting to like get angry. Leia senses that. And Leia senses it. And she distracts her son, who also clearly they built up for the past two movies that he regrets having killed Han, which he should, because Han was amazing. And <laughs> for those of listening, you couldn't see my face right there when Jason made that made that comment. <laughs> Sorry, Han Solo is what has been one of my favorite characters since I was like, well, when I was Han Solo is the reason that Jason owns a leather jacket. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And has uh, smuggling spaces inside my car. <laughs> Just remove the panels yeah. and no one thinks to look. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I thought it was very clever that Leia is able to distract her son. Ray is able to stab him and then Leia contacts Ray. And Ray feels bad and is able to like that was not a, the optimal way to end Princess Leia's uh, arc in all of this. But for what they had to work with, I thought it was actually effective. So the first place my mind went with this when I was watching this is straight back to that scene in Episode Three where Anakin and Palpatine are sitting watching the the, the weird water ballet. Right. Yeah, and first of all, thanks George Lucas for that. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that I have to say the term water ballet in my day-to-day <laughs> vernacular now is thanks only to George Lucas. So if you're listening to this, fuck yeah. you, George Lucas. Because yeah, it was like the most amazing speech that Palpatine gives in any of the movies. <laughs> and it's the worst place to do it. Yeah, and so then you, you get the line, like, the original bef- pre-Lord of the Rings cameo, Secrets Only the Sith Knew, and Powers Some Considered to Be unnatural i use that line yeah. <laughs> and power over life and death and so th- this is kind of interesting but then kind of flies in the face of this dichotomy that star wars won't seem to ab- abandon between the light and the dark and good and bad so this is the power over life and death and apparently ray as a jedi now for the second time in however long feels totally comfortable exercising it right bringing someone back to life or healing them when they should die, which Palpatine promised to do to Padme and apparently has had the ability to do, which makes it clearly a Sith power, but Rey is imbued with it and feels comfortable using it. Again, this goes back to that concept of how many users there are. Like It's like the Force is an internet connection. Like The more people who are linked onto it... <laughs> That's bandwidth. It's a bandwidth, bandwidth issue. Is, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> so... Again, like this this idea that Leia was able to interfere at this point and change the dynamic I thought was fantastic. But more than that, it was very clear to me, I don't know if it was clear to everybody else, but it was very clear to me that that was the point at which Leia was supposed to give the speech that Harrison Ford comes as Han Solo and gives to his son. Because he's not even a force ghost. That whole thing was dumb. But it was supposed to be in his brain. And I thought that the way it was done was very effective. I thought it was. Because it's basically him, like every human you've ever met in your entire life has imaginary conversations in their head. And that's basically what this was. And it was Kylo Ren working through the guilt that he had and coming to a conclusion that, oh my God, I've been wrong this whole time. But you don't, like people don't, have uh, an ideology and then realize they're wrong instantaneously. I thought that the the conversation that he had with the Han Solo character in his head in that moment was a really well done part, really well done way around that. But more than that, my absolute favorite part of the entire conversation was that it ends with him looking at Han Solo and saying, "Dad, I," and he doesn't finish it. Han Solo just says, "I know." Oh my god. <laughs> It's such an amazing throwback. But see, this was an opportunity for me. I didn't hate this scene, but this was an opportunity to me for Star Wars to embrace what I thought may have been one of the only redeeming things from The Last Jedi. And that was this concept that the Jedi are not necessarily good. Yes. That, that this whole thing is just messed up yes. and that it is a self-perpetuating conflict that is dependent on both the light and the dark. And the system is totally broken. And until it's abandoned, 
then this is just going to continue and go on and on and on. And that thematically would have fit with basically episode seven being a shot for shot remake of episode <laughs> four. Right. And this concept of Ray using a power that has clearly been previewed by Palpatine and the ambiguity of that. And the fact that maybe Ray is the first crossover, the first gray Jedi, for lack of a better term, I see what cu- coupled with Luke's line, it's time for the Jedi to end. The Jedi must end. That would have been very satisfying to me and very interesting. But instead, they just have Ray using the power over life and death with no expectation. And she's still a light side paragon. So, again, though, I think that there's a, a very important difference between what Palpatine was talking about and what Ray is doing. Palpatine's talking about coming back from the dead. What Ray is doing is actually just healing. You have an injury. It's a mortal injury, but you're not dead. And she just fixes the injury. That's very different than you being dead and being a force ghost and then coming back into the physical reality. So, but if this was a power that is at least known throughout the thousands and thousands of years of the Sith and Jedi's history then why don't we see it at other times in the universe and why aren't other people trained in it? Why when it's almost the exact same wound that Darth Maul gives to Qui-Gon in Phantom Menace. Why isn't it's like CPR. Why isn't every Padawan trained in it on day one? Why, why couldn't Obi-Wan just heal Qui-Gon right there? So here's the thing. There is never any evidence at all that any of the Jedi read the original texts that you find on you know, the, the the original Jedi temple that Luke Skywalker is living at in the last movie, there are those books that are sitting uh, in All the six of them that apparently contain all, all them. <laughs> and that Yoda kind of ridicules. He goes, well, it's not like you read them either, Luke. You know, mm-hmm. and then they set the whole thing on, Yoda sets the whole thing on fire. But then you see those books in the, the, the Millennium Falcon at the end of The Last Jedi. And then you start this movie... Ray has perf- purposefully removed herself from uh, fighting the enemy and going out on missions so that she can stay and study being a Jedi. And it shows her reading these texts. And this is like the entirety of Jedi knowledge that clearly most of the Jedi have not read because apparently they took college kind of the same way that I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I think, like, to me, that that made sense, that there were abilities, capabilities. Like, first of all, she has the internet bandwidth because there are no other Jedi. And secondly, she's actually studying the original texts in a way that none of the the Jedi had in a very long time. I I will admit that you've taken me one step closer to saying this movie isn't stupid, but I'm about to take you two step backwards and explain (laughs) to you why what you just explained makes it even more stupid. Okay. So you referenced how Yoda set the temple on fire, burned the books. In one of the next scenes after the duel that we've been discussing, Luke catches the lightsaber that Rey throws into the fire and then also after giving her a pep talk, raises the X-Wing up as a Force ghost out of the water. If Force ghosts can set shit on fire, catch lightsabers, do all this other stuff, why haven't they been doing this the whole time? Why aren't Force (laughs) ghosts just like teleporting in and out, killing Palpatine, doing all this stuff, flying starfighters, why wasn't the whole Jedi Council just made up of Force ghosts with no stake in in the like temporal plane where all of us mortals live, just making just ambivalent decisions for the greater good of the collective? Where have the Force ghosts been? No, no, no. That's an excellent question. Now, again, I think that this comes – I think there are two aspects of this 
in my head, and it could be interpreted many, many different ways, but in, in my mind, the way that I, I felt that that was possible was first, Luke was always supposed to be one of the most powerful Jedi. He was supposed to be more powerful than Qui-Gon, more powerful than Obi-Wan, more powerful, like, he's Darth Vader's son. Darth Vader was supposed to be, like, the most powerful Jedi ever. And then he had all his limbs cut off, which made him less, less powerful, but his son was supposedly immaculately conceived by the Force, and you're missing me do the air quotes there. And then he falls in love with Padme, who doesn't apparently have any Force powers. So Luke... I'm just saying, if I was married to Natalie Portman, Natalie, if you're listening, it would need to be immaculate. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so Luke is born... Theoretically, his Force powers are diminished from Anakin's, but they're still... Like, this is the 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 son of the force, right? Like, or the, 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 the grandson of the force as it were. Um, so he's supposed to be one of the most powerful Jedi. Uh, he then trains under Obi-Wan and Yoda, who are the Jedi trainers as established in all of the different movies. So you would expect him to be able to do things that no other Jedi have been able to do. And then on top of that, again, going back to this idea that the force is reduced and reduced and reduced down to, very few characters. The catching of the lightsaber is more difficult for me than the raising of the X-Wing. Or the setting on fire of the temple. Uh, the setting on the fire, that was just lightning. That was manipulation of environment. Like I, that. But, okay, so this is why it's still stupid though, Jason, because even if you're right, even if everything you just said is correct, that means then it's consolidated down to just basically Yoda and Luke are the ones who can pull this off. So why haven't they been pulling it off everywhere, all the time, 24-7? Well, Yoda never really pulls anything off. <laughs> like, ever. Like, he, he trained everybody, but he never, like, the only time you ever see him actually fighting, he loses both. He loses both. <laughs> I was just about to say that. He loses both duels. Okay, all right. So let's just agree that the, the Force Ghost loophole exists, and it makes this movie perpetually stupid, which you obviously agree with. So... We'll just move past that, and I'm just going to filibuster and talk over you and assume you agree with me. <laughs> and that brings us to probably the, not the stupidest part of this movie, but the biggest facepalm moment where I'm like, just so lazy. And that's when Ray has basically revealed the pathway to Exegol, yes. and it's being downloaded, and, and Mary is back. Yes. So the, the hobbits are back. We're all good. Apparently, Treebeard tree has dropped them off. Right, They're all good. A bunch of IT classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything's everything's good. And they come up with their plan of attack. They come up with their battle plan for hitting Palpatine's uh, new fleet that's been constructed. And the battle plan is hit them in the main gun. It'll cause a chain reaction that blows up the ship. You're telling me that Palpatine, who's now been foiled twice <laughs> by being hit in the main gun in the one weakness for his super weapon, has now built a fleet of super weapons with the exact same weakness. Tell me that's not stupid. So I think the way I would explain that, if you go back to Rogue One and you look at Jin's father. And guy, he had to build that flaw in. That's right. And he did so very secretly. But the fact of the matter is like the very first scene in that movie, the, the Empire goes way out of their way to fly and find him at the very edge of the galaxy and bring him back because they can't figure the technology out. And so what I, I suspect, or the way that I justify all of this, this continuing flaw through this technology, is they never got it. 
they're building on these ideas that they still don't really understand because only he was the one who got it. I will accept that that is mildly plausible, and I'm just going to ignore your point, call the movie still stupid, and pivot to this is why Rogue One is so good, that instead of creating plot holes, it fills them. And whoever made Rogue One, and I'm not nerdy enough to know, I wish I was, should just make all Star Wars movies, and everyone else should fuck off. So that's where I'm at on that. So Ray arrives, she completes the track, the pathway through the solar storm or whatever she's going through that... Brings her to Exegol, the forbidden planet. The forbidden planet. <laughs> yeah. And as she arrives, all of these thousands and thousands of ships have their guns trained on one single X-Wing with the person piloting the X-Wing, the person who Palpatine has been trying to kill for this whole movie, telling Ren to eliminate her, to kill her, and they just let her through. That's an easy one. That That's... Man... That's a soft pitch for me. Well, I already know what you're going to say, and it is a setup for my next point as to why this movie is stupid. So continue, Jason. Play into my hands. The the entire character of Palpatine, Darth Sidious, for, for the entire series has been that he is a master manipulator. That he sees things, like, unlike the, the assertions about Donald Trump playing four-dimensional chess, this guy actually does it. He has been pushing all of these minions of his to quote unquote try and kill Ray because he's manipulating her towards him. Like he knew what the outcome would be from all of these various confrontations. I mean, Snoke going after her and trying to kill her, like he created Snoke. He says at the very beginning of the movie to Kylo Ren, I'm the one, I'm the voice that you've heard in your head. And they go through a bunch of different voices. He's clearly been manipulating this whole situation. So when she finally gets there, because he says to her, I want you to try and kill me so that I inhabit your body and, you know, I become 10 times more powerful. He doesn't want her to die. He's been threatening her life this entire time to get her to this exact point. He's not going to order his army to then shoot her down. Jason, 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 you play right into my hands, my (laughs) friend, because that brings me to the, the biggest plot hole for me in this whole just... I don't even know how to describe it. This like Hillary Clinton campaign of a movie. Like I I don't even know how else to come at it. So I am willing to agree with you. I'm willing to accept that Palpatine is a master manipulator who is playing five dimensional chess and has moved all of the pieces to arrive at this moment where Ray is before him and can strike him down and become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And then what does he do in that moment? He tells Ray, what he wants her to do. Ray has clearly come there to kill him. He's right. won. His plan has been fulfilled. Let her kill him. <laughs> Why did he tell her that's what he wants her to do? Just be like, oh, I'm so weak. I can't hold it. Like, why didn't he just do a straight up Mace Windu moment and let her strike him down? Yeah, well, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, another Disney property, uh, the movie The Invincibles, the or not, not the invent- the Incredibles, the, the the animated. I have not seen it. Okay, so there's it's about superheroes, and there's a scene where the the bad guy has everybody in his thrall, like he's got the superheroes dead to rights, and he starts telling him his plan. Are you trying to say Palpatine's a Bond villain? Is that what you're about no, to no, tell no. me? So, <laughs> no, so the, the 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 joke is like the superheroes start trying to wiggle out of his little trap while he's talking about how brilliant his plan was, and he goes. Oh, wait a minute. You caught me monologuing. I can't believe I was doing that. And it's a really self-aware thing for the superhero genre. Palpatine's kind of monologuing, and it is kind of stupid. But at the same time, 
it's also been established throughout all of these movies that he has a massive ego and he thinks he's got her caught in a rhetorical, like he thinks that she believes in her friends enough. She, she wants to save her friends. enough. Wait, so your faith in your friends is yours. Right. And <laughs> it's, that's it. That's, it's a complete mirror of what he put Luke through. This is just more embracing George Lucas's famous behind the scenes quote. It's just like a mirror. It's like poetry. It all just is a mirror image of each other. But here's the thing. So this is an insight into Palpatine's thinking, I think, which is really interesting because he even says it in the movie. Like when he gave Luke the choice, he didn't count on Vader turning. But now he's given Rey the choice and the only family she has in the room is him. Like there is no Vader there to to help her out. But she, he, of course, doesn't count on Kylo Ren or understand that there's the whole weird dyad and the force thing, which uh is is the way out of that box for the director. But, but if he's been through all the stuff, two Death Stars lost, murdered by his own apprentice, lost to the rebel scum, you'd think he couldn't set that ego aside and just let her kill him if that's what he wants. Again, I hate to go back to this, man, but you and I work in DC. We've met <laughs> a lot of really powerful people. Do you know many of them that would set their ego aside? <laughs> all right, all right. Listen, so let's just both agree this movie is stupid and DC is stupid. All right. So the the rest of the points that I have on, on why this movie is stupid, minus one, are generalities. But there is one that you've already talked about that is the stupidest part about the last movie and the stupidest part about this movie that I am very excited to hear you defend. And you already know what it is. And it's why didn't they just light speed through the command ship? <laughs> And and win immediately, because apparently that's the new maneuver. There's no one in the Rebel Alliance with, like, a terminal illness or stage four space cancer that wants to push the button and be the person to lightspeed through the command ship and end the whole thing. Yeah. So I mentioned this earlier. Uh, they reference it in the movie as the Holdo maneuver. That's because uh, the character that Laura Dern played in... Uh, and it's named after her because it's no one's thought of it in the thousands and thousands right. of years right. prior that's in right. the Star Wars universe. And... It was one of the best looking scenes in The Last Jedi. It was an amazing visual scene, an like audio scene. Like the sound effect for that was astounding in that there wasn't one until it had already erupted. Very, very visceral scene. And it's part of the 17 minutes of that movie I will agree to watch again. Right. But it's really hard to. <laughs> Yeah, to, to justify in terms of all the other movies. Like, why didn't somebody do this to the Death Star? Like, you couldn't find, as you said, one terminally ill rebel <laughs> that would take a big, like a, you know, a, a Tantive four or something with one of the other ships and just light speed right through the Death Star. And then the explanation as to why they couldn't do that again in this movie was so disappointing. I don't even know the explanation. What was it? This is the quote. That's a once-in-a-lifetime maneuver. <laughs> I know a few maneuvers, kid. List to the left. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, it was, there was no logic to the explanation whatsoever. So what no. you're saying is you agree this movie is stupid. I agree that the Holdo maneuver from the previous movie uh, throws into question all of the tactics of all of the movies. Again, J.J. Abrams was handed a turd on a plate and had to deal with it. And it ain't that it. hard to roll a turd in glitter, Jason. You can make a turd shot. <laughs> I think he did it poorly, but he had other points that he wanted to make. And it was not an effective defense. Okay, well, while the Rebels are getting picked off one by one, 
Ray is in her one-on-one war of words with Palpatine, in which she, in the end, basically defeats him the exact same way that Mace Windu almost defeated him in episode three, except she has one extra lightsaber. So just like putting the exact same weakness on his new superstar destroyers as he did on the Death Star, he now loses again to the same force lightning deflection, this time instead of one lightsaber from two, and somehow survives for a long time while being consumed by force lighting, lightning in episode three, but is instantly turned to dust. Yeah. In this very, episode. Uh, uh, again, Indiana Jones, like <laughs> if he'd opened the, the, the Ark of the covenant and burned his face off again, I didn't have a problem with that because Mace Windu comes at him as the best sword fighter in all of Jedi lore, but that's all he's got is this incredible warrior. Ray comes at him with all of the... This is, she stands up and you hear all of the Force people talking to her. It's all the Force ghosts giving her Force energy. And she's got you know Luke and Leia's lightsabers. Okay, I just want to point out Jason's, Jason's argument again to everyone listening is magic. Because magic. <laughs> because this, magic. This, these movies are not science fiction. These movies are fantasy. Oh my God. <laughs> we could have a whole other argument just on that. Okay, so let's accept the fact that you're wrong about everything and that this movie is stupid up to this point, up to and including everything that we just explained about this lightsaber, lightning, force lightning reflection. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said except for none of it. (laughs) Okay, so what I want to do now is talk about characters dying in this movie. We're almost at the end. Yeah. A lot of characters have died. Oh, wait. No, they haven't. None of them have died. None of them have died. Let's just go through the (laughs) list of characters that have supposedly died in this movie. So we have Chewbacca. Right. Ren. Ren didn't die. Ray. Oh, wait. Ren does die. Ray dies. Chewbacca dies. Right. And Leia dies. Now, Ren dies again and comes back. But all all the ones I just named, only Leia actually stays dead. But oh wait, Leia has also died and been brought back in the last movie. Right. That that's what makes this so unsatisfying. Ren there's no Ned the Stark, but there's no Ned Stark beheading moment in any of this. Ren only dies to bring Ray back after Ren has already been killed and saved. Sure. No, no, no. And I get that. There's no staying power with any of it. But that was true of the original trilogy as well. How? The only person who died was was Obi-Wan Kenobi and, oh, excuse me, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda both died, but they come back as Force ghosts. Nobody so, actually died. So that brings me to my next point then. First of all, it, at least they, they came back as Force ghosts and it wasn't, they're dead, they're not dead, they're still on the temporal plane or whatever you want to call it in this universe. But technically, so we see Rey disappear as a Force ghost. We see Luke disappear as a Force ghost. We see all of that and then Ray is supposedly dead, but lingers as a physical being long enough for Ren to revive her. And then Ren dies and immediately becomes a force ghost. It just fades away. Disappears. Uh, he does, Why doesn't so Ray disappear into just empty clothes immediately? Oh, see, that, that concerns me far less than when Luke Skywalker dies and his hand goes with him. <laughs> that is brilliant that movie is so stupid I've never agreed with you more than I agree with you at this moment and this is also where I want to hit you with a piece of trivia sure okay so besides Kylo Ren mm-hmm. which look it's the end of the movie so I'm going to forgive them for not fitting it in 
but every character who dies and then fades away and disappears appears as a force ghost somewhere else in the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. except for Kylo Ren. And who else? Who is the only other Jedi who's killed in the Star Wars universe so far as I could remember? Someone comment and prove me wrong. Who does not disappear, but their body is disposed of in another way, who later appears as a Force ghost? So so I think the answer you're looking for is uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. That is the answer. That is the answer. <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn is burned alive. Yeah. Or not, I'm sorry, burned, burned dead. Burned dead. His body is burned. <laughs> Yet somehow he still appears as a force ghost. Although it seems for everyone else, the prerequisite for being a character that appears as a force ghost is having your body disappear. What ama- that would be amazing if he was actually in a just Jedi coma up. trying to figure out. <laughs> burned. It was like, wait, 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 wait. I'm still in here. I'm still- I was just trying to disappear. So congratulations. You answered the trivia question. That was, that was fantastic. None of it makes any sense. This movie is stupid. Well, so the movie I, I still enjoyed. I thought it was a satisfactory ending to me. But to your point earlier, the thing that I find somewhat disappointing is that we're seeing Star Wars stories being done better. Way better. Like, I don't hate Star Wars. Let's just be clear about that. Right. I don't hate Star Wars. I hate this movie. I I enjoyed the film. I thought I had, I had no problems with it. I was really happy with this new series, uh, providing a, a final chapter for the original characters in the trilogy. And I really liked the new characters. I thought Ray was compelling. I really enjoyed uh, uh, Boyega's portrayal of Finn. I thought he was engaging and fun. This new movie, I thought his interactions with Poe Dameron were funny, interesting. I was so glad to see this new kid who's playing Chewbacca. He nails it. He tattoos like he does such a great job on it. I like the new droids. But all of that said... The last three, and we're, we're recording this right before the final episode of Clone Wars. Come, God, the, is there only one show. more? There's only one that more That is episode. heartbreaking. I love the Clone Wars. The last three episodes of Clone Wars, like, for anyone who hasn't seen it, go back. It's hit or miss in the early years. It gets better and better and better. Yep. The last four, ep- or the last three episodes so are far. so good. So they, they, the Clone Wars tends to record in four episode uh, Story arcs. arcs. Yeah. So you get two hours of a story arc. Mm-hmm. If this had been a two-hour movie, live-action movie, yes. it would have by far been the best Star Wars movie I'd ever yes. seen. Yes, agreed, <laughs> agreed, agreed. Yeah. And Rebels was really quite good. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with all of the stuff that they did, but overall, like there was some really good stuff happening there too. All right, so we've arrived at the end of the movie. Uh, it's the outcome we all knew and expected because in George Lucas' faction, the good guys always win. And it's good versus evil, and there's no ambiguity, and there's no deeper meaning. Uh, the movie so, was exactly what you would expect from a Star Wars film in that it was entertaining, fun, and I had a good time watching it, and I will watch it again. And that is disappointing. <laughs> and that's what makes it stupid. So I'm going to do a lightning round really fast on the final things that I think are super stupid, including for me, and I alluded to this earlier, the stupidest moment of this entire movie. Okay. So the first I'm going to go through characters. So first, Rose, stupid. Maybe. Why build Rose up? She doesn't even count anymore. I agree. They erased her in this in this new movie that her entire plot line was irrelevant, which is too bad because I really like the actress and I thought she did a great job. Yep. Uh, Codebreaker, stupid. Completely stupid. No point. Totally stupid. Broom Kid. Yep. Broom Kid becomes extremely stupid at, at the end of all of this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, at best, he becomes completely irrelevant. At worst, he becomes the thing that 
that restarts this whole fucking idiot. I hope he's process, a Sith. Right? Seriously, I hope he's a Sith, and I'm going to root for the Sith if they make another Star Wars movie the whole Strong. time. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, that was supposed to be the uplifting moment of Episode Eight, but now, given the end of Episode Nine, it just raises the question of how many more people out there are just going to be wandering around untrained, using the force, blowing shit up with no, yeah, like just yeah, exactly, just yeah. becoming chaotic and. Like, there's no good end to that. <laughs> no. And that brings us to, ladies and gentlemen, the stupidest moment of this entire movie at the end of the movie where we have Ray, who supposedly, by Mr. Callahan's explanation, is the conduit of all force power in the universe being channeled through a single Jedi yes. who has to move from the top of a sand dune to the bottom of a sand dune and chooses to create a sled out of a piece of junk and slide down on her butt. Who cannot just jump down. She has to create a sled to move down a sand dune. Why was that scene included? Why did that have to happen? Who like it just makes it it just ruins the whole it it's kind of like when you're playing a video game, like a really good story-driven RPG, and then all of a sudden you look up and like there's like a head hanging off the wall or a person like halfway into a piece of furniture and takes you out of it. Like, I so why? fundamentally disagree with you. <laughs> Okay, hit me with it. Why is it why is it not stupid that arguably you have to make the case at the end of this whole thing that Ray is the most powerful force user, at least if not one of the most of all time, because as you described, her status as the sole conduit of all the light side force in the universe, yes. if not one of the most, the most powerful force user ever. Yes. And she she can't cover a five foot drop. Why is that not stupid? Because she's not interested in using the Force at this moment. This is a throwback to the, her very first introduction in The Force Awakens, where she comes out of the Star Destroyer wreck on Jakku, and she uses the, the piece of metal that she finds to slide all the way down the, the, the sand dune back to her speeder bike. It's the very first introduction we get to her. And what it shows me is that even with all this overwhelming power that she now has— She's. This is an indication that she's not going to abuse that power. She's not going to become the new Palpatine. She's reflecting on her very humble beginnings and that she hasn't lost that aspect of her own character. So you're assuming that she's a good person and is going to be loyal to the light side, and I'm going to explain to you why that's not true. No, no, no. I'm not saying that she's going to be loyal to the, to the good side at all. In fact, I think that's completely belied by the fact that she turns on her lightsaber and it's not green, blue, or red. And by the fact... That she's a thief. She stole She stole yeah. BB-8. Yes. BB-8 is with her in the final scene. BB-8 is not her droid. Why is BB-8 with her on another planet far, far away from Poe Dameron? She stole BB-8. She is evil. She is a Sith Lord. Conversation over. End of movie. This movie is stupid. There have been other scenes where BB-8 ended up with her instead of Poe. And I think that even though she and Poe have this sort of antagonistic relationship, I think they're okay. Like, they know that whoever BB-8 ends up with, like, they'll see him again. Like, this is just, like, communal property. It's it's like Chewbacca travels with Poe, Chewbacca travels with Bray. Like, this is just a group of people who... Let's focus on the actual realistic explanation, and it's that Disney wanted the last thing that kids watching this movie saw to be BB-8, so they would go and buy BB-8 toys. Oh, no, and again, that goes back to the original trilogy where a lot of decisions were made, including not to kill Han Solo in the second movie 
that were made exclusively for marketing. Including purposes. the end of episode six, because I believe the ultimate ending of episode six, we could do a whole other one on this. But if you go back and watch, the only way that Luke beat Vader in, in a lightsaber duel was to embrace the dark side. And if they had Luke leaving and going away into exile, as they ended up doing anyway, because he realized that he had turned to the dark side and embraced his anger to defeat yep. Vader, yep. that he had to go into exile to, to protect the universe, to protect everybody else. That would have been ambiguous and interesting. It, it and would instead, have been a much more adult. They movie. did a BB-8 Ewok moment to sell toys. I was going to say it was a huge cash grab, and I have given them many, many, many dollars <laughs> for that that unambiguous cash grab. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, that's the end of the movie, and I think we have de- definitively established that this movie is stupid, and that Jason is stupid, and that everything <laughs> he said is stupid. Uh, and I mean, there's no point, argument. We should we should set up a vote and see like who wins the argument. Well, we could have we could have Aaron actually put together a. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a poll. We'll do a poll. Yeah. So look, uh, we don't know when we're going to post this. We don't know how, but let us know wherever we do. If you think that it's stupid or not stupid. Give us a detailed explanation of why you think Jason is stupid. I, I would love to read that. Uh, throw your <laughs> throw your ideas out of uh, future ones you think we should do. We're happy to argue about anything, whether we believe in it or not. The most important thing to me in life is not being right, but proving Jason wrong. <laughs> so throw out your ideas for future arguments we can have about what's stupid and not stupid, and maybe we'll do it. Yeah, I don't my know. favorite part about these conversations is you have yet to actually accomplish your goal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you all for the next one. May the force be with you. May the fourth be with you. (laughs) 